Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, life purpose coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Drew Laboon, a military veteran with 13 combat deployments who's on a mission to let others know they're not alone and that recovery is possible. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. My guest today is Drew Laboon, who is the Director of Admission and Outreach for Country Road Recovery Center, a Pathways treatment facility. He's been there since June 2020. Prior to that, he worked various jobs in the defense contracting industry following his retirement from the military in 2016. Drew served honorably under United States Special Operations Command for 17 years, has 13 combat deployments, and numerous awards and decorations. He earned his bachelor's degree in sociology from Boston College in 2017 and originally planned on working for the intelligence community. His career in drugs and alcohol started shortly after. Drew's experience with addiction and alcoholism extends to both his personal and professional life. Two inpatient treatment episodes and five detox treatment centers over a four-year period provide him with an intimate understanding of addiction. In 2019, Drew admitted to residential treatment for the final time at the facility he now works for, Country Road Recovery Center, along with his actions taken in a 12-step recovery program, saved his life. Sharing his experience, strength, and hope is the keystone of his own recovery, helping others know they are not alone and recovery is possible. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Charles. It's good to be here, man. Yeah, it's good to have you on. So we've talked about having you on, so here we are actually doing the thing. Yeah, finally doing it. Yeah, so we've known each other for a few years now, and we were talking uh, off mic about how long that, that was, and so we can just make it up. Has it been like... 10 years or five or two or I think it's been about two probably okay. yeah I mean we can go with with whatever yeah um, it's probably more realistic and honest to say about two yeah, yeah the joys of uh friendships and recovery is you know I don't remember and that's okay it feels like forever because you know good honest true friendships right I do remember uh first time meeting you though you're a shark out on the golf course I'm gonna I'm gonna Expose oh. your secret here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Golf and ping pong. Well, you know. ping pong is true. Yeah, yeah. Golf, man. Okay, I'm gonna ride that plays, as long as I can ride. Yeah, that. <laughs> plays down the skill and goes out there and hits bombs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look out. So the Joe Pello golf tournament's coming up as of the time we're recording this podcast. It'll be next month. Yeah, and we're gonna be in on that. So. We used to always be on the same team. We're on yeah. opposite teams now. We're gonna. It's gonna be intense. We're coming for you. Oh, <laughs> I got I got a ringer this year. <laughs> oh no. Uh huh. Okay, I'm not I'm not gonna tell you about my team, but uh, it's all for a good cause. It's it all is. for a good cause. It is. Yeah. No, seriously. So, all right, man. Well, as you know, we start each episode with a kickoff question. So I'll send that your way, and then we'll just see where the conversation takes us. Okay. All right, Drew. What are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? Man. That's uh, that's an intense question. You didn't give me one of the softballs, that's for sure. No, you said um, for me to make it up. So yeah, that's make what it you up. get served. We want those genuine answers. Um, struggles and triumphs, man. I'd say my biggest struggle was overcoming self. Um, and for a guy like me, that comes in a lot of different forms, right? Um, overcoming self, my ego, uh, my pride, um, overcoming obstacles from things in my childhood to things through all my deployments. 
um, behavioral health, mental health struggles, struggle with, uh, you know, thoughts of suicide, um, to thoughts of being better off dead, um, to wishing I could just drink myself to death and I wouldn't wake up, but it never happened. I always woke up. Um, so, you know, my, my biggest trial to overcome was me really. Um, and, you know, all, all, all of my struggles and trials of, of me are what led to my substance abuse um, and, and my drugs and alcohol. And then my greatest triumph, I think, um, would be the same, overcoming that. Um, learning to kind of put myself to the side and be guided by a spiritual life and a higher power and, and uh, just learning to get out of the way is, is my biggest triumph. You know, life's, I always say... You know, life's pretty good when I stay out of it. You know, when I stay out of of what uh, you know my concept of of God, and I'll just say God on here. Um, I don't uh, I don't necessarily assign a specific deity to that, but uh, my spiritual concept of a higher power, just getting out of the way of that, life's been pretty good for me. Absolutely, so. man, absolutely. And so we have some shared experience there in terms of our journeys with substance use and mental health. Different conditions, different places, different spaces, but one of them that's the same is the one you just described. So for those that may not know me, I have a similar story and I won't go into it, but but just like yourself, overcoming self, overcoming those tendencies to be self-absorbed, self-centered, uh, which for some reason is is part of our demise, especially with substance use disorder. So same here. And that's, I think we connect on that soul level or that deeper level, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that spirituality is a way of life. And so it is for me too. Um, so that's incredible, man. So we can go anywhere that we choose and really that you choose to go with this conversation. But, uh, in terms of, in terms of that, let's call it your, if you want to go back into some past experiences, some of those challenges, along with some of the highlights that were going on in your life. If you want to pick up on any threads, especially as it relates to your sense of purpose, who you are in the world today and what you're about, maybe some of the backstory, wherever you'd like to pick up some of that. Sure. I think, um, <clears throat> I think probably, uh, for listeners, we'll probably end up doing a little tra time traveling back and forth a okay. little bit here. Through yeah, my, that works too. My past, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, starting for me, um, in 2019, I was at, um, you know, we say bottom when we use the term bottom in, in substance disorder, drinking and drugging. Um, I learned through my own experience that a bottom is emotional and personal. It's not material. Um, as, as evident by, you know, I, I went from um, uh, in, in, in child, my childhood um, on paper looked great. You know, I never saw alcohol in the home, never had, never saw my parents or any caretakers ever drink a drop. Um, but for me, uh, spending most of my adult life chasing drink, uh, was an anomaly, right? So if you look on paper, uh, and then through all my military career, being a hard drinker, but learning the, the values taught in the military and, and the hard work and the mental toughness through being, um, in, in special operations, different special operations command my entire career. Um, you know, on paper, a guy like me, quote unquote, air quotes for listeners, um, a guy like me should never have gotten to the depths of the drugs and alcohol like I did. So for me in 2019, kind of being at the end of my run, um, I was homeless. Um, everything I owned minus, um, 
a few sticks of furniture and some military things that were kept in a in a storage unit in Boston, Massachusetts that my new newly exed wife had the key to and told me I could have she was trying to protect some of my things for me said you can have the key when you sober up um so for me and and everything I owned in a two-door civic um couch surfing you know I, I would stay with different friends or acquaintances for a week or two until they got sick of it and I would bounce to the next one and they got sick of it um and so that's a pretty pretty big fall for me. I used to say, I used to say, uh, I was essentially homeless and I was corrected one time, um, by my mentor in the 12 step program. I work, he goes, you weren't essentially homeless. You were homeless. You didn't, you didn't have an address to call your own. You had a two door civic with the front bumper hanging off because I hit something while I was drinking. I don't even know what. And so I, I spent almost two years that way though. I would have a job for a while, great jobs, either um, in the contracting world or I got into some EMS work later on. Um, and I never got fired from a job, but that's because I would always uh, kind of read the tea leaves there and see that coming and I would quit before they could. I say I would quit. I would just stop going and then wouldn't answer the phone when they would call me. So I don't know how many employers think I'm probably dead, <laughs> fall off the face of the earth. You just dropped off. Yeah. Right. And the thing yeah. was is that I, I it was hard for me to view it as a problem because while I, I, I could acknowledge that, that this wasn't a good deal, I, I was not doing well, um, I always excelled at work. Uh, I, I never, um, you know, I never never killed anybody drinking and driving. I never got written up or in trouble at work. Like I said, I would, they would start to get wise to I wasn't doing well and I would quit jobs before. And so I, I didn't have a whole lot of consequences in my face. Um and so because of that, it was hard for me to acknowledge I had a problem. Uh, my first time going through treatment, um, as I was going through the retirement process, um, I had a commander who kind of saw the writing on the wall for me and, and called me in. And I found out in later years, he actually has a brother that is um, an untreated alcoholic. And so he saw a lot of those characteristics, and he called me in. Because my, my last year in the military, I was, I was going through the retirement process. I had uh, uh, eight different surgeries um, in and out of the hospital, a lot of time on pretty hard pain meds. And, of course, I was drinking with them because with an alcoholic brain like mine, um, if I'm taking narcotics, alcohol, if, if the label says don't <laughs> drink on this medication, uh, that to me is, is like the green light. You know, right. it's going to make it even better. Do it. Yeah. It's going to yeah. give me more, more, more effect. Absolutely. Yeah. I get that. Uh, and so he called me in and said, you know, I, th things aren't going real well and I'm worried about you. Um, and we're not requiring you to go. Um, but we think this would be a good idea and we'll pay for it. Um, and so I did, I went, I went to treatment the first time in Wilmington, North Carolina, hmm. um, on the beach, beautiful facility. I'm sure they offer great clinical services. I didn't pay attention to a single one of them. Because I spent my entire time in there looking at the differences instead of the similarities between yourself and others and everybody and else in everybody there. Everybody else in there. Yep. Gotcha. I thought I yeah. just I just drink a little too much. I could acknowledge oh, that, okay. and I, I probably ought to get control of that. Right? Me thinking I can control it. Sure. Um, and I used to look down on on drug addicts mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Um, all honesty, and if and if our listeners, if you're bristling already at me saying that, just hold on tight. The, the story will come full circle. There's more to the story. Yeah, there's more. Just hang on. Um, but I did, man. I was I was pretty judgmental towards the the drug addicts um, in that treatment facility. And then you fast forward two or three other detoxes. You know, I'd go in for a little spin dry. Um, 
dry out, still thinking alcohol's my problem. I'll just get a little sober. Or if, uh, if, you know, the wife at the time will get off my, I used to say I have back problems, you know, she's on mine. <laughs> Those are my back problems. Right. Uh, she'd just get off my back. If, if work would just go better, any of this or that, I would assign blame to, to why I would spin off again. Uh, another time in treatment, <clears throat> that second time in treatment, I said, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't drink anymore. Probably need to knock this off. Mm -hmm. This isn't good. Um, and so I had this idea to get on a marijuana maintenance program. And I'm not going to <clears throat> get into any of the uh, current legal debates and disputes of marijuana. I'm only going to speak about my experience. And my experience was that for me, um, I did stay, quote unquote, sober um, for a few months. I didn't drink. <clears throat> I didn't use any other drugs on this marijuana maintenance program. But the problem is, is for a guy like me, anything that alters my mental status or my mental state to a point where it lowers my inhibitions is not good for me. Um, and so I, uh, I was on this marijuana maintenance program <clears throat> and, uh, I still remember it to this day. It was St. Patrick's day. And I was on a, uh, at a friend's rooftop patio and we were overlooking in Boston, Massachusetts, overlooking the St. Patty's day, St. Patrick's day parade. And, um, somebody had offered me a drink and I turned it down, uh, the first time. And the second time they offered me a drink, I thought, well, you know, I've been sober for a few months. Maybe I've been overreacting. You know, maybe this isn't such a problem. And I took that drink, um, and within about a week, I was a around-the-clock, 24-hour-a-day drinker. It took off again. And then you fast-forward another couple of months, and I'm buying pills from a friend. Uh, and then, and so for the listeners, I said, hang on a second, here it comes. Um, I remember being over at a guy's house that I used to buy pills from, and he said, have you ever shot a pill before? Um, and I said, no. And he said, it's incredible. Let me show you. And we're cooking down a pill and a spoon, and I'm injecting it in a vein, and as I was uh, drifting off into that high, I remember thinking, oh, man, here I am. I went from judging and being ugly to drug addicts and talking about you just need to toughen up to here I sit on the edge of a bathtub with a needle in my arm. Um, and so for me, now looking back, because I believe that, that I, you know, I live life forward, but I understand it backward. Right. Yeah, tell me more about that. I mean, if, if you have a chance, you know, just a second to tell, what does that mean to you? Well, so I think I know what it means. But. Right. So I, I'm, I'm living life along every day. And, and now in sobriety, I, I don't necessarily see the progress I'm making daily. Right. But I look back to see, you know, over the last three and a half years and where I was four years ago. And it's so clear to see mm -hmm. how far I've come. And that's what I mean by that. Right. Right. And the same thing um, with my my substance abuse, my drinking and drugging days, you know, that first time in treatment when I was, you know, that hard drinker, but was starting to get out of control. I didn't see it as really a problem until you fast forward a couple of years and I'm sitting on a bathtub with a needle in my arm. And then I look back and see, oh man, this is, this is not good. Now I understand backward of, I look back and think this is what they were talking about when they told me things like this, this, this disease is progressive. It's progressive and it's, and it's terminal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really scared me. Um, but of course, then just because it scared me didn't mean I stopped. I lived my life in this. Um, it'll never happen to me. I won't die from this. Then it went to wishing that I would die from it, um, to drinking the blackout every single night. And, and I would wake up every hour, hour and a half um, was the sugar and the alcohol would wear off. And I'd already be starting to get the shakes in bed. And I'd have to pound another pint of Jameson. 
Um, and so for me, uh, ended up losing a couple of homes in a divorce. I lost a dog in a divorce. Um, I'm, I'm a bad country song, really. Uh, my drinking days, lost the wife, lost the dog, lost the home. I lost the vehicle. Um, because my credit had gotten so bad, I had to have my wife co-sign for it. And I spun off and disappeared and and I'm, I'm a runner, right? I I don't, uh, and I don't just run to the next town or a state over. I, I run continents, right? So I end up in Asia on a contract uh, and she sells my car because she doesn't want to be tied to it anymore. So I lost a car and a divorce too because I had to have her co-sign because I was such a train wreck. I couldn't, I couldn't even do anything. So going from a guy um, with a top secret security clearance um, who'd done all these great things, quote unquote, forgotten country um, and had a degree and had, um, you know, what you might look at and say so much promise um, to be such a train wreck, a ticking time bomb, um, to, and it continued, uh, I had no place to go. So I would, would couch surf if I wasn't on a contract and they provided housing, I would couch surf, call old friends. So I want to come and see you for a couple of weeks. It wasn't because I wanted to see him for a couple of weeks. I did, but I had no place to go. And that's, that was what motivated those calls. And so, um, that fast forwards, even until, how I ended up in Oklahoma um, is the last person in the world that would answer the phone for me um, is my cousin. Uh, my cousin and my auntie live in Norman. And so uh, I think you've met my cousin. I have. Yeah. yeah. My cousin, lovely woman. Um, she she answered the phone and, and we had started communicating again. I hadn't seen her in about 20 years when I was in active duty. Um I frequently would, would deploy and disappear for a few weeks at a time, whether it's training or overseas. And so I, I didn't have a lot of communication with anybody, but we had started picking up that communication again. And I think she knew um, something was wrong. She knew I wasn't doing well, um, but I always had an excuse, right? Life's rough or um, just not doing well. My PTSD is really, I'm struggling with that right now, which I certainly don't mean to minimize those things because those things are accurate. My PTSD wasn't doing well. Um, but in reality, I was rejecting help that was offered, and I was in full self-destruct mode. Yeah, that's a key point. Not interrupt your story no, there please. at all, man. But on that, since my experience, my experience is not yours, but I can speak generally. Yes, absolutely. PTSD, trauma, those are real. However, there are other strategies besides me using alcohol, uh, dangerous substances, addictively, because that's how I use them at this point in my sure. my disease. I'm going to use yeah. them that way all the time if I get a chance to, or if I think that I need to. But there's other strategies. There's other healthier ways to cope. Absolutely. Well, and it didn't help that the culture I came from in the military is kind of our motto is uh, overkill is underrated and moderation is for cowards. Yeah. Uh, anything worth doing is worth doing well. It's worth overdoing. Um, overkill is underrated, yeah. all these different things. And so that, that kind of was, was, uh, part of my mental makeup, huge part of my mental makeup. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, cruising around is this ticking time bomb that I reached out to my cousin with the same plan of, I'll just go see them for a couple weeks. And I told her, I said, I'm going to, I want to come see you guys. And she was super excited. Yeah, absolutely. Come see us. Um, I say now she takes exception to this and I know she'll listen to this. Um, so, you know, I'll just remind you as you're listening that this is my story to tell. So I'm going to tell it my way. Um, I, I, I say, and, and she disagrees, but I say that, that the only reason 
that they opened their doors and welcomed me in is because they didn't know how bad it had gotten. Um, now understanding the truth of that and knowing them, I think they probably still would have. Um, but this really special thing happened to where I, I got here to Oklahoma, drove through the, across the country in a blackout, um, drinking the entire way. I don't remember. I remember one single stop. And the only reason I remember that stop is because I had to go into the truck stop bathroom and cut up more cocaine because I was snorting coke off my phone while I was driving with my knee. Um, all the way, it's a miracle I didn't kill anybody. Um, and I say kill anybody else because at that point in my life, killing me would have been a relief. So it's a miracle I didn't kill anybody. <clears throat> and I get all the way to Oklahoma. And uh, that, that special thing I was referring to that happened is, is I think it was pretty quick they saw um, that there was a real problem here. Um, but the special thing that happened is they didn't say anything to me about it. They just watched. Um, and I was in Oklahoma a week and a half, two weeks, somewhere in there. And um, I realized we were actually at Mass. I hadn't been to Mass in years. Um, and we were in church. And I believe, um, and then in the recovery program I work today, um, I've learned that, again, I'll say God, my higher power, that God, um, you know, takes these God shots, these moments of clarity, um, even when I'm at my bottom. Um, and I had one of those God shots. We were sitting in mass and the thought was, um, you're going to die. If you don't stop this, you're going to die. Then the very next thought was, it's not going to be today. It's going to be 20 years down the road and you really are going to be completely alone. Um, and you're, and it's going to be painful and miserable. Um, and then a guy like me with an ego like mine, the very next thought after that was, "There's no cool way to tell that story, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be having my funeral in Arlington National Cemetery, and some somebody's going to say this idiot drank himself to death. Um, you know, it's not a warrior's death. And so even even at my bottom, I still have got some ego. Um, and so for the first time, uh, that was when I had that acceptance moment where I accepted that I, I am completely and totally um, defenseless and powerless over alcohol, over my life. My life's a train wreck. Everything about it is completely unmanageable, um, and I'm absolutely a disaster, uh, and this is not going to stop. I can't figure this out on my own. Um, and for a guy like me, you know, I had to run out all those good ideas. I had to get all of that out of my system that I can somehow control this that I could somehow fix this. And so that kind of that moment of surrender and I reached out for help um, for the first time. And I remember my auntie telling me, um, she said, uh, my uncle struggled with, with substance abuse for years um, up until the very end for him. And she told me, I remember what she told me because it, it haunted me. Um, and it was quite prophetic. She said, uh, you know, I've lost one man to this disease, I won't lose another one. You need, you need to get some help. And when I told them I was going to get some help, she said, you were, we were getting really close to saying something to you, but we knew that you had to make that decision on your own. And that's that special thing that happened for me. They allowed me because I had to get to the point in my experience and working with, with the hundreds of alcoholics and drug addicts that I've worked with, um, is that, and, and anyone, right? Uh, I, I don't think you have to be a drug addict or an alcoholic to, to understand the idea that um, 
I have to decide on my own that I want to change my life. Um, anybody deciding or pushing me or anything like that only pushes me further into whether it's the self-destructive behaviors or the drug and alcohol abuse. Um, I, I had to come to that conclusion myself that I was going to make a change. Um, and so I reached out for help through the National Alcohol Hotline and they got me set up um, at the treatment facility now I, I work at. Um, and I spent, it's a 90-day program, but I spent 109 days out there because this weird thing happened for me, right? And, and the benefit of a person making that decision on their own, right, not being prodded or encouraged is that, is that I have gotten to a point where I have run out all of my good ideas, right? Every thought or, or delusion at times that I have that I can somehow control this is gone. I've completely given up and said, all right, um, conceded defeat. <clears throat> and so for me, uh, going into treatment this time, I, I got honest about things, um, from my childhood. See everybody in the past, they, they always wanted to, um, and anybody that works with veterans, um, and, and military trauma, I, I always say, start with their childhood all the times in, in counseling and all the, the, I don't know the dollar amount, but probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, either uh, the Department of Defense or the VA spent on me to go through talk therapy. The only thing anyone ever wanted to talk about was military trauma, combat trauma. And for me, for a guy like me, and I think it's like that with most most folks, there's a lot of unprocessed things um, from my early childhood. Um, being a survivor of sexual assault as a little boy. Um not from any family, uh, but from a, a person in a position of authority uh, over me as a kid was something I had buried and suppressed, right? Because men aren't supposed to have these, all these old ideas I have that men aren't supposed to deal with that. And, you know, I'm this big tough guy and I'm this special operator and I'm not supposed to, I, there's no way I'm ever going to admit that, right? And so um, having all of that compound and I'd stuffed it down and then you add on top of that, um, military trauma and PTSD and things like that from combat experiences, um, created this perfect storm, um, to really spin off in alcoholism and, and drug addiction. And so when I was out, uh, at the facility, uh, 90 days was kind of winding up and I was being honest the first time I was in the middle of processing a bunch of things. And, um, I had asked, I said, you know, I, I don't want to leave here and, and start all over with another outside clinician. I'd like to finish up the things I'm working on here. And so they allowed me to stay longer. Um, so all of that and all of that kind of story, give, give my background with drugs and alcohol um, and my professional life leads up to, and I think goes back to your, your initial question, my greatest triumphs in, in overcoming me. I learned in there in treatment and also um, in the 12-step recovery program um, that I work today that uh, that ego and overcoming self, um, that setting myself to the side and getting out of the way uh, has, is, is what I have to do. Um, it is, it is uh, foundational and intrinsic to the recovery process. Um, and so, <clears throat> it, it, and I see now too where continuing to work that program, it's benefited my entire professional life. Um, you know, two years ago, I still lived in a world, right? So two years ago, I'm, I'm uh, you know, year and a half sober, still thinking in this mindset that, oh, uh, uh, positions and titles and all that, 
Um, and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be at work and, and professionally and in my personal life. Um, and through my journey, I've learned that, um, one, to identify the things that really drive me, um, who I really am. You know, I, I, I live off of and drive and what gets me out of the out of bed in the morning is the opportunity uh, to help others, right? And, and whatever um, that looks like today, helping others um, looks like um, both in my personal recovery life, still working with that, with that still struggling alcoholic, uh, to my professional life, working with folks to get them admitted into um, a treatment facility. It doesn't have to be mine. Um, we live by the idea that we don't care if you're coming to us specifically at Country Road Recovery Center or not. We're going to get you in somewhere. Um, but but helping folks um, and their families uh, has put me in a place to kind of step aside from that and say, where can I be of maximum use um, and, and in line with, with my higher power? And so uh, kind of shifting my goals there to instead of specific um, titles or positions or salaries, I've gotten out of the way and said, okay, where can I be of maximum use? That's where I want to serve. I don't care um, about the title. I don't care about the salaries anymore. I want to live in line with my values. I want to live in line with my morals, and I want to live live this life where I'm able to help folks and, and be spiritually fed that way. Uh, and this crazy thing has happened is that the titles and positions and salary have come different than I thought they would, um, but all infinitely more fulfilling because uh, my life has come in line with uh, who I really am. And I love the opportunity to come and talk about that. Well, for one, I'm a real live alcoholic, so I am my favorite subject, right? <laughs> I love the sound of my own voice. Uh, but really is, is to try to... Um, you know, a friend of mine, Caleb, uh, the Virtue Center, they, they have this deal where they, you know, hashtag smash the stigma mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, is, is their big thing. So that's a shout out to Caleb down at the Virtue Center in Norman. But I love that because we, we have our, in, in, our, in our minds the idea of what an alcoholic or a drug addict looks like. Um, and it doesn't fit a stereotype. This thing is no respecter of persons. Um, and I'll say that too, not just about drug addiction and alcohol, but mental health struggles, mm -hmm. um, is no respecter of persons. It is not weakness to reach out for help. Um, as a person who has reached out for help, that was the most difficult thing. That was the hardest part of my journey. The rest of it, I just had to do what I was told, really. I just had to do what somebody else was, was teaching me to do. Right, because they yeah. knew what would work. Yeah. Right, same here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that part, um was easier, mm -hmm. man, that, that initial reaching out for help. And so uh, sharing my experience and my story and kind of who I am, you know, having graduated from an outstanding college mm -hmm. and all of this career and, and this, this person that again, on paper, whether it's from my, my childhood and growing up in a loving home to uh, my professional career on paper, I should not have been that alcoholic and drug addict. Um, and yet there I was. And so the opportunity to come and kind of smash that, tear that down a little bit is one that I will always take. Um, because this deal, whether it's, again, whether it's the mental health struggle um, or it's the, uh, the substance abuse struggle, it's real. Um, 
and reaching out for help is the hardest but most rewarding thing um, that anybody can do. And so it's an opportunity for me. I see there's a there's a book over there. And sorry if I'm no, that's Peaceful Family Solutions. Shout out to them too. The Heal Out Loud coming up. I just saw that over there. So I, I'm like, I like to heal out loud, man. Yes, I like to be absolutely be out there and put myself out there Same. because if there's anybody else that that yes. is going down that road, man, it gets better. Just you just got to ask for help. Dude, I'm so fired up just hearing your story. And we know one another already, but this is why we vibe so well. And I know you vibe with a lot of folks well, but you're just so authentic with sharing your story. And you've gone to those those places in terms of the most difficult places in your story and shared them with our listeners. And that's healing out loud, you know. Um, and so I, I respect it and honor it. But also, I know that it can transform lives. So if there are those listeners right now, you're going to see some uh, links down in the show notes for those of you listening in. Go click on those because you're going to see a link to Country Road Recovery Centers. You're going to see uh, links for the other places, uh, the Virtue Center in Norman there with Caleb Klusmeyer and a Peaceful Family Solution. You're going to see a link there. And there's always the number 988. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis right now or substance use crisis, hit that number up. Text or call 24-7. There's no shame in it. And the more you don't want to do it, the many that I've worked with, it's probably time. If this is your, if this is your time, you're like, maybe this is the moment. Hit that number. Do that for yourself. Because that's what we did. That's what Drew did for himself. And that's what I did as a high achiever with great uh, academic past. You know, I had a lot of gifts, a lot of emotional and intellectual gifts. Bottom of the bottom of the rung. Lost my career to alcoholism. It doesn't care. It didn't. It, the addiction itself did not care. But now I get the the uh, joy to have a conversation just like this. And my healing journey is continued just by sharing this conversation right now. So I'm a better person just for knowing you. I appreciate that, Charles. And yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'll say just to add to that. Um, if you reach out to any number or any link that's posted there, um, even if you're not sure, if you're a family member or a loved one or professional of someone, or if you are that person struggling yourself, reach out. Uh, even if you're not sure if we're a good fit or if we're going to work, please reach out because we will get you to where you need to go. And I know, um, Charles, I know you do the same thing. And Absolutely. Whatever's right for somebody that's going to help them start their journey, man, we'll do it. Yeah. And we Absolutely. want it to be right. And that's one thing. We have that high standard. Both of us do. And many of us professionals in the field also have that high standard. We want to make sure it's the right fit for the individual, including the family. So um, on, those, on, those, on that line right there, Drew, what are some of the services and, and offerings that Country Road Recovery Center has? Well, we're a, we are a co-ed 90-day dual diagnosis program. Um, for folks that don't know what that means. Yeah, dual diagnosis means uh, the focus at our program is to to really get into the mental health, behavioral health side of what's going on kind of under the surface there, right? Because we learn, and I remember it blew my mind when I walked into my facility as, as a client. Um, the first thing they told me is you don't have a problem with alcohol and drugs. You have a problem with you. Mm. Alcohol and drugs are your solution, right? And so... Um, learning that and then really digging into the behavioral health. So we're, we offer the cognitive behavioral therapies that, that, and the dialectical that allows a person to, to dig into uh, why they're doing what they're doing and how it's going against their values and their beliefs to start unpacking those things. We do a lot of trauma work. Uh, we do EMDR, which is a, an incredible, um, tremendous work, uh, a therapeutic intervention used for PTSD. Um, 
We've got an art therapist out there that has decades of art therapy experience. Uh, we do equine therapy. Our equine therapist has over 25 years of experience doing equine therapy. Um, all of our clinicians are master's level clinicians um, and very experienced. Uh, we have LGBTQ affirming. Um, we work with with our folks there in that community that, that are struggling as well. Um, we're out on a, a 130-acre ranch out in Tecumseh, Oklahoma. It's beautiful, by the way. I've, I've toured it, been out there, love it out there. I've seen the art on the walls. I've seen the fields. I've seen the pool, not with water in it, but I know it can have. So. Yeah, yeah. It do, well, it does in the summer. It does in the summer because yeah, yeah. it was cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that and, and the open space and the fresh air is what blew my mind as a client there. Uh, I remember I, I had been to everything from on the beach to lockdown, like the snappy pajamas, grippy socks type psych ward <laughs> um, events. I, I did a couple rounds in the psych ward when I was really spinning off. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's tremendous open air. Um place that that really will save your life but we do ask for folks you know we want you committed uh we're not the type of facility to come to to just bide your time um we're the type to come out and really get to work on you and understand about you and and we do a full continuum of care so we we really have have worked hard to have your your first um basically six months of recovery so we do the 90-day residential and then we transition you to um a a sober living program. Now we don't own the sober livings, but we do, um, work with and partner with a number of quality sober livings, no matter where you're going to in the state. Uh, we have sober living resources. We get you plugged in there and then we have our, our virtual IOP program, um, that we work folks through and then get them introduced. We also do introductory to recovery programs, um, all the different recovery programs for our, our first nations folks. We do well variety. Mm-hmm. Um, we will, uh, facilitate smart recovery, mm-hmm. celebrate recovery, NA, CA, AA, what, whatever a person, um, needs, because we don't believe that your program that you work after is kind of one size fits all. I love that piece, man. I love everything you're saying, but I love that piece right there. Cause different strokes for different folks. Exactly. Um, I'm a, I'm a member of, of, of one specific 12 step recovery program, mm-hmm. but yeah. what works for me, uh, might not work for someone else. Mm-hmm. So someone else might need to go and, and work. Maybe they're incredibly faith-based I mean, they go to celebrate recovery or, um, they want a little more of the secular scientific approach. So they mm-hmm. go with smart recovery or our, like I said, our native folks with well variety, whatever it looks like and whatever you need coming in spiritually, um, we're going to ensure that you've got those resources too. Um, we get, we help you get set up with, um, either depending on the recovery program, a mentor in that recovery program or a sponsor, uh, whichever. We get you plugged in there um, to start calling that person and working with that person because we know and we tell folks day one coming in the door, it's easy to stay sober in a treatment facility, right? Recovery, this isn't recovery, this is clinical work. Right. Uh, We're not the type of place that's going to throw meds at you. We're going to dig into you clinically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is clinical when you leave here is when your uh, recovery actually starts. Uh, and so getting them set up with all those resources and really what set our um, program apart for me, different than anyone I'd ever been through, um, was that so many of them just, you know, hand you a certificate and a T-shirt and a keychain and sing you a song on your way out the door and say, all right, well, best of luck to you. Um, and that had been my experience previously. They sang you a song? Uh, one I went to, yeah, they did. There was, it was that's a trip you up. I'm just like I never got sang to, so I'm feeling yeah. a little bit of a resentment. It here. was a little weird. It was that's, a little weird. That's different. Yeah, it was it was different. Okay. Um, but y'all you know, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, we don't. 
Um, but but our discharge planning, man, we really yeah. um, insist that mm-hmm. your and and facilitate as much as as we can mm-hmm. that, that your transition back out um, into the community is as smooth mm-hmm. and safe as possible yep. uh, to really set you up for success. So that as you start that journey, um, you know you're really set up for success. You know? Right, absolutely, in all the ways that you just described, a ton of offerings. And so for folks, again, if you're interested in learning more, just click on the show notes. And maybe if you could, Drew, if you can think of numbers or emails or websites, maybe general contact information to get in touch with Country Road. Yeah, if you want to learn more about our program, you can call 405-253-2020. And and you can choose option one for the admissions line. Um, Our website is uh, countryroadrc.com. RC for Recovery Center, countryroadrc.com. Um, and uh, yeah, we're on Facebook. You can follow us on Facebook, Country Road Recovery Center, on LinkedIn for the professionals, Country Road Recovery Center. Um, we try to be as involved uh, as we can. Absolutely, and you do. And, and like I say, we, we've known each other, and, and you're, you're always involved in uh, the addiction and mental health professionals group uh, in Oklahoma City and maybe in Tulsa too. I don't even know because I don't get out there because I'm pretty much based in Oklahoma City, at least physically. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, man, I know how, uh, for me, how committed you are, how committed. That's been my first take on when I first met Drew Laboon was how committed you are to the work that you're about and who you are. So and I love it, and, you know, reflecting back on part of what you shared about knowing what your values are and who you are. Man, I'm telling you, when I found that stuff, it it absolutely transformed my world. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know through working my program, which included a 12-step program, coming through that and some outside spiritual help and some good therapy. But when I found out who I was, I'm like, oh, I had it wrong. Right. I was viewing myself wrong. I was viewing the world wrong. And I'm like, this is what all those books are talking about, meaning all those spiritual and religious traditions. Right. I'm like, I started to catch on because it makes sense once you've had the change. So, and philosophy and wherever else we can get it from. So, um, I I love that. And knowing what, uh, so where I'm sort of headed also now, maybe in our last few minutes is, you know, what do you, what really brings you joy in life in terms of who you are today, what you get to do, what your values are, just what do you enjoy that maybe you were separated from and not able to enjoy all those years? You know, I think the, the, Personally, um, the joy I have is is the one thing that I could never ever do uh, was live exactly where my feet are. Yeah, is to be present in the moment and be happy. Yeah, I could never do that. I was always living in the fear of my future. How am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to get my next bottle? How am I going to smooth this over at home because she's mad at me? Mm-hmm. How am I going to do this, that, and the other? How am I going to going to squeak by and and not end up drug tested at work? Um, the fear of my future or the wreckage of my past, the guilt and shame of, of the things that I had done, that I had been involved in. I'm, I was always in one of those two places and I was completely and totally incapable and it was impossible for me to live right here, right now and be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the greatest blessing I have in my own personal recovery. Um, now and professionally and in, in my recovery world outside of that, my greatest joy and what what really uh, satisfies me is when I see that light click on in another person. When I, whether I'm sitting there knee to knee with them, 
talking about recovery in my own personal recovery program, or I'm, I'm at my facility and I'm talking to them or with their families. And you see that light click on where they just, they get it and it makes sense. And it's kind of those aha moments and getting to be a part of that miracle, uh, in their life when it clicks on is, uh, brings me the greatest joy of, of anything I have in my life today. Um, and I think the joy of helping others, but also it, it, it helps me remember the miracle of my own life. Cause every once in a while, you know, we get busy with, yeah. with life and work sure. and, and all that, that it sometimes it's easy. It can be easy yeah. to forget yeah, me the too. miracle of my own life. Yeah. But seeing that light click on, man, makes me remember my miracle. Yeah. Um, and I'm always incredibly grateful. And, and one of my favorite things at work is to point that out to them. Yeah. You see, and just, you see what just happened there. You right. see what happened there. Right. That is, uh, that's it clicking for you. Yes. Now let's talk about that and unpack that. And then right. there's even, the, you see the light come on even more like, oh man, I see what you've been talking about. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, that is, is, uh, that's why I get up in the morning. That's why I do what I do. You know what I'm saying? Just to be able to have that opportunity as a, as a coach. So for those that are curious, I'm non-clinical, meaning I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. But I do two things. I do life purpose coaching uh, and general life coaching. And then two, I do addiction recovery coaching. So again, that's for folks that are in recovery or maybe even sober curious. But I don't, I don't coach folks who are in active addiction. That's where you want to call Drew and look for other resources and, uh, and get on a plan. And I'll say this, Charles. I'll yeah. brag on you a little bit. Oh. I, um, you know, before we closely affiliate and, and associate with folks, I like to know that what they're doing and they're doing it for the right reasons. And I tell you, I've... I, sent folks your way and I've checked on folks and asked on, asked folks, you know, how was it? And it's everybody that I've spoken to that, that has, uh, worked with full integration coaching, um, has had tremendous experiences with you, um, and your professionalism and, and the results that they see. So you do good work as well. Tremendous work. Man, I really appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. And and to know that you're out there, you know, doing recognizance. And, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we, and it's that's and the check. way it goes, I man. Do too. Yeah, yeah, you I do check too. Because I want that excellence. I really right. want quality resources, quality folks. And so without, without a question, and I recommend other facilities as well. Sure. So for those that are listening in, hit Country Road up. Hit Drew up. You will be glad that you did. They're... they're extremely reputable, uh, excellent results. Addiction is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And for mm-hmm. some, they come out and they need a little bit more experimentation, but that's not Country Road Recovery's doing. They're giving them, they're giving them all these resources wrapped around them. There's nowhere to go except for inside oneself. And I've heard that time and time again out there. So if you're, if you're wanting a more intensive, supportive uh, recovery treatment experience with multiple pathways in terms of the support, like uh, twelve step, smart recovery. I don't know if you do Dharma recovery or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, so I got into Buddhism pretty heavy for about three or four years. Yeah. I still practice elements of it. Love it. Love the eightfold path. So, but whatever it is, whatever your your pathway is, you can you have the opportunity to find it over that extended stay. Mm-hmm. Give yourself ninety days. Give yourself to this experience, and then they'll give you three more months of aftercare planning. So, oh, and last thing to brag about is uh, Country Roads virtual intensive outpatient program. Mm-hmm. Y'all just launched launched this. So, if you're living outside of you know distance, or maybe you know a residential treatment isn't an option for you right now for whatever reason. Contact Drew for that, too. Maybe you can get online from where you're at or if you're in a sober living house or wherever and participate in some intensive outpatient programming as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, we, okay. we try to meet you wherever you are. Um, and our goal really is to stand in the gap with you and, and remove every barrier we possibly can to get you the help you need. Yep, and that's what you do. Yep. Well, man, hey, in our last minute or so, sometimes I ask this question of folks. And so uh, if you had a message for anyone, any group or just in general, uh, you know, what brings you hope about today and what gives you hope for the future? Hope for today, hope for the future. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, it's very broad. I think, you know, what, what brings me hope today is, is, uh, is knowing that recovery is possible. Um, and for me, having been sober a little while to know that recovery is a process. Um, and I fall back on, you know, it goes back to that live life forwards, understand backwards. Sometimes when I get caught up, the thing that gives me hope and peace is I look back and say, okay, this is how far I've come. I'm going to continue to rely on um, the recovery program and the recovery community, um, and I know that I'll be able to get through whatever you know life throws at me. Um, you know, To be able to live life on life's terms really is what gives me hope for today and tomorrow um, because I, I could never do that before. I could never do that before. And uh, if I had one last little thing, and, and what also gives me peace is, is to say is that, uh, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. Whether you're sober or struggling with mental health or whether you're brand new to it, it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely, man. I can't add anything to that except to say thank you, Drew, for being my guest on the show. Thanks for having me, Charles. Appreciate it. been listening to the live your purpose podcast i hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest if you like what you hear please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode i'm your host charles gossett life purpose coach and founder of full integration coaching to learn more about the life coaching public speaking and retreat services that i offer visit fullintegrationcoaching.com And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.